Thanks for listening to Bezier. Bezier is sponsored by Superhigh, online courses for code, design, and product management. Superhigh's courses can be done in your own home at your own pace. I've been a Superhigh student since 2017 and have gone from being a designer feeling alienated by the should designers code discourse to building my own sites and now even selling web design services. My favorite part of Superhigh is the community of learners. As a Superhigh student, you're added to this huge community of all the other Superhigh students. It's filled with inspiring people from all over the world in all different places in their careers. I've gotten work there, I found podcast guests there, and even made in-person friends, all because of Superhigh. It's easy to get started. There's an online code editor. You can do it on your own schedule. There's built-in community of learners. It's got everything you need. Start learning to code, design, or product manage today at superhigh.com. I like to have guests introduce themselves. Could you share a bit about yourself? Hi, my name is Maggie, and I'm from Manila, Philippines, but I've been living in Los Angeles since 2016. My pronouns are she and her. I'm a freelance multimedia designer and digital artist. Some of the disciplines that I practice are motion design, storyboarding, concept illustration, set design, and animation. I work mainly in advertising, working in the games and entertainment space, as well as experiential events and film. Outside of work, I've been really into roller skating recently and really into old Japanese cartoons that I just like find on YouTube. Like I'm obsessed with them. Yeah, that's me. I have the benefit of being able to video chat with you. I'm seeing a cat run around in the background. What's your cat's name? That cat's name is Zeke. I have two cats. Zeke is the cat's cat. Of all cats, he is the cat that likes to swipe things off the table when he's annoyed at you and when he wants your attention. He will do zoomies at like four in the morning and he'll like swipe at your face to get you to wake up. So he's like our cat cat. He is my husband's favorite cat and my husband is his favorite human. My other cat, Izzy, is my favorite cat. And I am also her favorite human. And they are both adopted from uh, Savannah, Georgia. Yeah. (laughs) I can go on and on about my cats. I I love them so much. But they really are best experienced in person. I'm unfortunately not the type of person. I'm terrible at taking photos and being like an Instagram presence. I tried creating an Instagram um, page for them once and... I just, I'm just so terrible at um, capturing moments. I'm really like one of those people who like lives in the moment um, more often than not. And uh, so, uh, yeah, unfortunately, if you want to experience my cats, you're going to have to become my friend and like come over and hang out with them, Um, which you're welcome. You're always welcome to do, Zach. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it. In your introduction, you talked a bit about your past to hear, but maybe you could go a little slower and go through as much of your career trajectory as you want to share. Ooh, it's kind of a really long story, actually. So I graduated from a university in the Philippines called Ateneo de Manila University. And there I was a double major in information design and creative writing. So, you know, general creative things. (laughs) Um, uh, that school isn't really that known for its fine arts program. I was one of like the first people to try out their information design program. 
And it was pretty good. It taught me a lot about, you know, graphic design, like design hierarchy, just like a great introduction into the design world. In terms of my art background, I have a heavy illustration background. I've been drawing since the Titanic came out, actually. I can pinpoint like the the year that I started drawing because that like uh, draw me like your French girl scene was the scene that like <laughs> inspired me to start drawing. And I started out drawing a lot of like cartoons. In the Philippines, we were an American colony at some point. We actually got a lot of like American cartoons, American media. I I drew a lot of Johnny Bravo <laughs> when I was starting out and a lot of Powerpuff Girls and Cow and Chicken, if you remember Cow and Chicken. Mm -hmm. And then I started taking art lessons and I got a very traditional training in painting and illustration and art. And then after I graduated from Ateneo, I worked with some friends in a gaming company. So we were trying to like create games and I worked as a concept artist and a little bit of a, a project manager for them for a little bit. And then I figured out that I wanted to pursue further studies in animation. So I enrolled myself in SCAD in the Savannah College of Art and Design, which at the time had a campus in Hong Kong. They had this new campus that just opened there. And because it was so close to home, I decided to go. I spent two years studying in Hong Kong and another two years in Savannah, Georgia, where I completed my, my degree in animation. At some point in between that, all of that, I got an internship in Disney Imagineering in Hong Kong, which was really, really cool and really fun. And I think that was like my first introduction into experiential design and set design. And I got to meet all of these like really amazing creative people and by mentors, John Hobby and, and Kelly, they were just like so amazing to work with. And I think they really influenced the work that I do to this day. And uh, so my last internship was my senior year at the Savannah College of Art and Design. And that was, I was brought on to work with this agency called Carrot Creative in New York. And they were looking specifically for people to help out with their um, Rick and Morty account because they were creating like this really big Instagram campaign for Rick and Morty that needed like all of these like crazy specific illustrations and when they saw my book they were like oh yeah like come on board you're going to be an intern with us but really you're going to be doing like some of the real work over here <laughs> um, and then so I spent a summer doing that and once I graduated they asked me to come back and help them um, establish their Los Angeles office and that's where I met Claire Sianca, another interviewee in your show and we worked together for a lot of the Rick and Morty um, accounts and I was also working on like some of our other entertainment accounts like Blizzard and Netflix and Call of Duty and you know I came on to Carrot Creative as a storyboard and concept artist. That was my official title. I have like a really hard time with titles, <laughs> but that was my official title at the time. And uh, yes, I was doing a lot of storyboarding and yes, I was doing a lot of concept art, but I was also doing a lot of animation and a little graphic design and a little bit of art direction. And eventually I got into art direction, but then the pandemic hit and that's sort of when I had like a really big 
rethink about how I wanted my life structured. Um, I was also suffering from burnout, um, as a lot of people um, can relate to during like those, those pandemic times. I also had an actual injury, like an art injury. Have you ever heard of art injuries? Like, was it with your, <laughs> your wrist? It was with my shoulder. Oh, um, I'm so and sorry. I, it's okay. Um, I mean, the more that I talk to people about this, the more common I find that it is. Like people who um, apparently sit on the computer and especially people like me who like are on their Cintiq all day, we suffer a lot of shoulder problems. And I'm very lucky in the sense that so my husband is a personal trainer and he's very and yeah i know like it's just like super lucky and um he dives deep a lot into pain management and you know the reasons why um this particular shoulder pain like in in the right shoulder like it's so common in people um with desk jobs and it really has something to do with the way that you're sitting and it starts all the way from the feet, like all, and it like goes all the way up. It's like this weird twisty towel thing that happens to the muscles in your body. Anyway, so yeah, I was really like, I was burnt out. I was injured. I was like struggling to figure out like, okay, what is it that I wanted out of my work day, out of my work, out of my career? And that's when I decided to go freelance and, you know, go where the wind takes me. Um, and I love it because I get to work with, um, so many interesting people and meet so many interesting people such as yourself, Zach. And I get to work on projects that I would otherwise not have been exposed to had I stayed with my agency. And I get to operate in a lot of different spaces. So, uh, I'll still do some video work and advertising and then I'll work in like concept art for experiential and sometimes I'll get like concept work and animation and you know that variety of work I feel keeps things interesting and it keeps me challenged which which I love. And yeah, that's that's how I got to where I am right now. There's so much in there. I have a list in my head of follow-up questions, but I think I'll just pick one for now and maybe we could circle back, but can you, sh is there anything you can share about the work culture of being a Disney Imagineer? The work culture of being a Disney Imagineer. One thing I will say is that they're very, they're multidis, like most of the Imagineers that I've met are multidisciplinary. So they also have a hard time with titles. Like they, they do one, they, their titles say they do one thing, but really they do like a gajillion things. And that's the reason why they are able to operate. I still have friends who are Imagineers. Obviously, they can't talk to me about <laughs> about yeah. their like day to day anymore. But while I was there, it was it was chill. We got to do a lot of spec work for attractions that were being pitched. So we got to do a little bit of sculpture, a little bit of, of digital work. Um, I had the opportunity to make like a little animation piece that was put up in like one of the food courts. <laughs> and that's the thing that in Imagineering, they, you, you think usually about the people who like work on the rides and the people that work on like the, like the big stuff. But a lot of Imagineering is working on the small stuff. And making things a little bit more immersive, like everything from 
the the food carts that you see around the park like those all were all like designed by imagineering and all of like the design decisions that got went into those are really contextual to where they're placing that specific food cart and i think that's the most interesting part of everything is that you know everything is very thought out and everything is narrative they really do think about it's like it's basically experiential on steroids they think about everything from the smell that you're smelling and how that affects your user experience in the park as well as the sounds that you're hearing like the next time you go to disneyland if you're going from one part of the park to another part of the park like maybe you're going from adventureland to fantasyland like pay attention to how the sound evolves as you're moving through the park because that stuff is designed to it's it's designed to make to make that transition seamless so that you're not like suddenly in another space it's like a very smooth transition so yeah there's also a lot of humor in the culture i remember one time i was just like working on a piece of animation and my boss kelly comes in and he's got like and he's like pointing at the screen at my screen and he's like maggie what's this what's this and i didn't notice his hand was like suddenly super tiny and what he was he got like uh, um one of the hands from the um it's a small world dolls <laughs> and he was just like he had like uh, inserted his hand in his sleeve and it was just like it looked like his hand was like this tiny tiny hand it was so much fun like that was imagineering was really like one of the funnest um parts of my career i wish i could go back and to those times but yeah <laughs> So bringing it back to what you're up to now, you you talked about, you know, one of the things that you liked about the freelance work is the the wide variety of different stuff you get to do. It's a very loaded question of like, what's your work day look like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually have two types of days, a book day and a free day. So on my book days, so every day I get up at around like seven or eight and I do a little bit of walking or yoga before like heading into work, quote unquote. And we were talking about earlier about like injuries. And so this like little bit of physical activity where I get to like get up and walk around and move my body. It's so important to the structure of my day, especially since I'm mostly sitting all day. So yeah, it's it's just super important to me to move any chance I get. But anything after that is like really up to the agenda of the day on a book day. So if I'm on a project, I'll usually be like checking in with a producer or project manager first thing to align on the goals for the day. And then I get to work, whether that be animating or editing or creating an illustration, sketching out ideas or fine tuning things. And I've been doing a lot of animation work recently, so I've been operating a lot in After Effects and Premiere. But some days I'll do like deck design or I'll work in like Photoshop or Illustrator. Breaks are important, so I'll usually take a short break at like 12 and then a longer one at 3. And then I'll keep chugging along until like 6 or 6.30 and then I'll get up and make dinner and then, you know, do the things that I want to do the rest of the night. And sometimes that's like drawing or sometimes that's just like vegging out in front of the TV, you know, like a normal person. And then the days when I'm not booked are a little bit less structured, but I love these days because it really gives me like room to be creative. So I'll do my morning routine and 
I'll spend my morning on LinkedIn or social media, you know, like reconnecting with my network and, and putting feelers out there like, hey, does anyone have any interesting projects that they want to work with me on? And sometimes I'll put out some work that I'm like cleared to share to share with. And then I'll get some life admin out of the way. Did you know that there's like this, there's a word for this, like life administration. So like if I need to renew my driver's license or like uh, book a doctor's appointment or whatever, like I'll do that on my free days. And then I'm, I'm setting up a print shop for some of my digital illustrations. So uh, on my free days, I'll work on that. And it's, you know, a lot of research. I'm in like the research stage right now where I'm trying to like, look at the different vendors that I can possibly work with and see how they can just how they connect to like my website and like what the entire like workflow of that is going to be or I'll work on some illustrations on Procreate and then I'll at around 6 30 I'll still just stop work altogether and do whatever I want because even free days are still work days when you're freelance you know <laughs> unfortunately i do know <laughs> <laughs> so you, you mentioned that you struggle with titles and i i, I can understand why because my next question is always around if i'm talking to a designer i ask uh you know what's one piece of advice for someone that wants to become a designer you mentioned storyboarding and animating and illustrating and all this different work what would you recommend someone that wants to to do this, to be this sort of multidisciplined, multi-talented artist creator that you are? Oh, gosh. Well, I consider my main discipline to be illustration because that really is the one skill set that branches out into all of these other skill sets. You know, animation just like coming out of like a, an understanding of how software works and how digital like products work. But for somebody starting out, drawing just practice a lot i i'm a true believer in hard work trumps talent and uh, the more that you practice the the better you're going to get at whatever it is that you're pursuing i think it's and just as a gen, as general advice i guess like because i also find myself like being the amateur in a lot of these disciplines is there comes a point in the learning process where you get frustrated at the amount of progress that you're making. And this applies to, to everything, like from, from roller skating to understanding a, a new piece of software. And it's really hard to not get frustrated with yourself in those moments because you feel like you're smart enough to like already be good at this or like <laughs> you're, or you want to already be good at it. But it takes time and it takes practice. And it's weird to say be patient with being patient with yourself. <laughs> but I feel, I find that being patient with yourself is really like key to everything. And uh, taking the time to just sit down and, and run through that feeling of frustration instead of fighting against it is so useful just in growing any any skill set that you want to grow so yeah be patient with yourself and practice a lot never stop learning i love the hard hard work is more important than talent is that is that how you worded it that 
Yes, it's. I mean, it's good. <laughs> yeah, I've met so many people that have been like, um, "Oh, you're so talented," and I'm like, "Well, talent is a little. It's a small part of it. If you have talent, you do have a little bit of a leg up, but it's not that much of a leg up. I think there've been studies on this. It's really the hours that you put in and how much effort you're putting in towards something that really determines how fast and how good you're going to be at a thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm a big believer of that. Like, you, nobody, I mean, there's, in my career, I've never come to a point where I felt like I knew everything. And I find that the most interesting people that I meet, you know, like, as I'm working, as I'm, like, meeting people are the people who really do not know everything. But they just decide to do it anyway, because... You know, we're going like into like meta territory here, but we're really like, we only have one life to live and we only have so much time in the universe. You can't possibly expect yourself to know absolutely everything by a certain time, but you can learn everything that you want to learn. And I think that that's so important. And if you give yourself that time, if you give yourself that patience to learn what it is that you want to learn, you can and you will learn it. Um, it will happen. What do you think is something that more senior illustrators should hear? It's a good question. I guess in terms of if you're a senior, it's important to display like that work-life balance. Because a lot of juniors like approach seniors to figure out what they can do, what's possible, like further along in their careers. And if they see that you are working all of the time or that you're not prioritizing things that they might find that they want to prioritize it it can get like a little disheartening for them like you know nobody wants to be working like all of the time and uh, you know have no time for friends or family or like hobbies so and i know that this is a difficult thing to to say to senior illustrators or to to senior management because there's just so much responsibility on your plate but it's Another responsibility I find to take the time to live your life and demonstrate that there is a life outside of work. Of course, there's, you can be passionate about your work. You can talk about design all the time, but also, you know, it's nice to talk about your family. It's nice to talk about your friends and the cool stuff that's happening on the weekends. And yeah, I feel like a lot of juniors who see senior artists have these lives like they they can see like a better future like ahead of them and i think that's that's really important there are a lot of great qualities in our creative communities there are also bad qualities i think in our communities there's a lot of bigotry and hate there's the patriarchy there's white supremacy there's ableism and transphobia and misogyny and all the other bigotries what do you think we should be doing about it? One of the things that I do a lot is I try to put attention towards people in the room who want to speak up. As a woman and as a person of color, I've been in a situation where I couldn't speak up because somebody else kept speaking. And, you know, part of that is also like American culture, because like here, if you want to appear engaged, you have to somehow always be talking. <laughs> but uh, now every time I see someone junior who feels like they need to say something or, or they want to speak up, like, you know, maybe it's 
it's like the little things like you'll see them maybe like tilt their head or have their hand up a little bit and then they'll like quickly put it down. But every time I see that, I'm like, hey, I think they want to say something. And I think that they have something very important to say. And, you know, I think pointing them out and giving them a chance to speak up it makes a world of difference. And I find that a lot of times when they do speak up, when they do have that chance, they like give some insane revelation that nobody else in the room talks about. And, uh, you know, that's the importance of of having diverse communities, of having diverse groups in, in a teams. You know, you have perspectives from, from all sides and that's important. And then as to the more serious things like white supremacy, patriarchy, transphobia, misogyny, I hope it's okay for me to speak about this here. I'm from the Philippines. I don't know if you've heard about this, but we recently had an election and the son of a former dictator just won the presidency. We're all in a state of shock frankly, because this person's family is like, uh, they're infamous for stealing billions of dollars from the Filipino people. Like, that's like, that. that's just them historically speaking. So the results are really difficult to accept. And for me, it feels like the next step in what feels like this global swing towards authoritarianism and a push against democracy and education and human rights and you know, a lot of the great things that push society forward. And of course, being in the U.S., while this is all happening, it's also really interesting because I'm seeing like these political reflections and what's happening here in the U.S. and what's happening in the Philippines. And it's so scary. It's like, uh, it's like stressing everybody out. So my tip here is to please take care of yourself and your mental health. Take breaks. Prioritize finding happiness. But I also find that action is a great antidote to hopelessness, which a lot of people are feeling right now, I feel. So it's useful to find, you know, advocacy groups and nonprofit organizations to like volunteer or donate to. Like, especially in those moments when you feel like there's nothing you can do, there is always something you can do. Thank you for sharing that. And we, we can put some organizations that if people are like, I don't know where to start and feeling hopeless, we could put some organizations in the show notes for people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can come up with a list of like some really great women's rights organizations. I don't know how anybody feels about the Satanic Temple, but they're doing some really great work. <laughs> um, they do amazing things. Yeah, they're like, they're so smart. Oh, my gosh. Um, I feel like they're an entire organization made up of super sassy lawyers. <laughs> so yeah, that that would be awesome to see that. Who is one person outside of the Satanic Temple that the listener should know about? So I have two. One Please. of them is my super brilliant writer and friend Mickey Chrysostomo. She's a writer on the well, a former writer on the Owl House. I believe she's working on another um, animated series right now. But she's just like funny. Like if you're if you're looking for somebody funny to follow on Twitter, like please follow Mickey Chrysostom. She's also a brilliant writer. And then there's also Bobby Pontilias, who is one of the co-founders of Rise of Animation. I just think that they're doing really great work and bringing attention to people of color in the animation industry, and they're running some really great programs. So if you're interested in animation, if you want to learn more about the different roles in animation and how you can break in, please check out Rise Up Animation and Bobby Pantilias. Thank you for two recommendations. Awesome. Yeah. 
What about books? What do you think everybody should read? So I used to read a lot more when I was younger, but these days I'm really into graphic novels. <laughs> Because, you know, they're, I, I find that they're a lot more engaging. I'm a very visual person. So I have, you know, given our conversation earlier about the political climate and a lot of hopelessness, and there are two books that I think are essential reading for anybody who wants to be engaged in democracy. And that's Mouse by Art Spiegelman, as well as Persepolis by Marjane Satrapi. Both of them, you know, Mouse is obviously famous for being a look into what happens when authoritarianism takes hold. But Persepolis was a really interesting read for me because it, it really demonstrated the slow process of authoritarianism and fascism, you know, and how it really starts small and you don't. Oftentimes you don't feel it until it's like right there at your door. There's this, there's this meme actually that I saw the other day. That was like a fantastic representation of how it happens. It's like, so in the Philippines, we have these things called like fish balls. It's like a street food. And they're like these little balls and like this giant fryer and you have like a barbecue stick and you just like poke each of the fish balls and like sort of like line them up one by one on the stick. And the meme was one of the fish balls was saying, oh, it's not, it doesn't affect me, so I don't have to worry about it. And then it gets poked by the stick and it's like, oh my gosh. And then it just like keeps going on and on. You know, you don't think that it's going to affect you, but then it does. And then it sucks. And I think that's why it's so important to recognize the signs really early on. Like we have history to look to and it's useful to know history. Because the same things happen over and over again. And it's a little bit like, you know, the multiverse. Like, we can, we can change things if we want to, but you have to know, like, how it happened before. The unfortunate thing being that, you know, we are not multiverse uh, jumpers. <laughs> and it's, but like, knowing your history is just so key in fighting against the things that oppress us. So yeah, I recommend those two books, Mouse and Persepolis. <laughs> the great recommendations. Are there ways that the audience can support you? You mentioned you have a web shop coming soon. Are you open for freelance work? How can people get a hold of you and hire you? I the shop is currently in in production, so um, I can't really recommend going there yet. But yeah, I would appreciate any leads to interesting projects where I get to work with interesting people. Other than that, like if you have to spend your money somewhere, like support your local nonprofit, supporting women's rights, um, supporting democracy. And if someone did want to hire you, where could they find you? Oh, you could find me on LinkedIn. You could also find me on Instagram. I'm very lucky in that my name is unique. So I'm just Maggie Kausek on every platform imaginable. So yeah, like look me up on Instagram if you want to see some of my doodles. Uh, that's at Maggie Kausek. And then I do most of my um, connections on LinkedIn anyway. So look me up on LinkedIn at Maggie Kausek. Maggie, thank you so much for being on Bezier. Is there anything else that you would like to share before we wrap up? Thank you so much for having me. Um, this was so much fun. It's such a pleasure speaking with you, Zach. Um, and yeah, take care of yourselves. Find happiness in life. We only get one.
So let's try to make it the best. Yeah. Bezier is a design interview podcast amplifying voices in our creative communities that don't already have large platforms and aren't working at big five tech companies. We focus on finding guests from all over the world and representative of as many of us as possible. If you have a great guest idea for Bezier, please email us at inquiry at zoct.studio. That's I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at Z-A-C-H-T dot studio.